0: welcome back to Sage May Speaks. Today I'll be talking to the king of self-tapes himself. He's an actor based out of Florida, who you may recognize from a little show called The Walking Dead. He's also made appearances in Homeland, Nashville, and so many more. Not to mention he was part of the freaking Blue Man Group and is now the owner of Book From Tapes Studios. Seriously, this guy is so cool. <laughs> Please welcome Jordan Woods Robinson. Hey, Jordan, thank you so much for being here.
1: My pleasure, Sage. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm glad to be here.
0: So excited to talk to you. You have so much going on. I
1: do. We've been busy. It's been a you know tough time for lots of actors, but we've been uh, getting to connect with lots of folks virtually and, and getting to reach out that way. So um, we're still trying to find ways to keep our own wheels and everyone else's wheels turning as well.
0: I love it. <laughs> so you were actually a bit ahead of your time because you've been running book from tape studios for years before everything went on tape. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I'm in the Southeast. So I've been in Orlando since 2007. And uh, before getting to Orlando, I was a you know completely theatrical actor. I'd never done film or TV or anything on camera. Um, but I got down here and I learned that there was actually a market in the Southeast. And So I got an agent and um, started experimenting with all that stuff and started booking some stuff. And, um, but I I quickly learned that, I don't know, probably within the first couple of years of, of doing these auditions, everything started switching over to self-tape, at least here in the Southeast, like not everything. There were still commercials in person and, and there were still times when um, I would have an initial audition via self-tape, but then need to drive to Atlanta for a callback or something like that. That was that that was fairly common for several years. But then eventually like it, it must have been right around 2012 or so that I feel like there was just this massive shift where everything started going to self-tape. And I I saw actors including myself getting booked directly from self-tape without meeting any producers, without meeting the director, without stepping foot in the room with anyone. And so that's when I started Book From Tape. It was something that I'd already been taping myself and we had opened up, uh, we had actually added a second story room to our house in order to uh, in order to like have myself tape set up. And I'm also a musician, so I played music and stuff, but um, to have like a, a taping area. And then I started offering it up to other actors and all that other stuff. But I knew from the beginning that I wanted to call it Book From Tape because that's our goal is to, Allow actors, like empower actors with the tools to book auditions directly from self tape. And so we've been focused on audition technique and making sure that our tech is just fantastic. And also, like, finding coaches who can help actors navigate that world of either being theatrical actors getting into self taping for the first time or finding on camera actors who want to break through some muck that they have going on and be able to you know really feel confident that they are providing a a product that will book from tape
0: so now that COVID is going on are you coaching them through self tapes?
1: yeah so we've been we we shut down our studio for a couple of months we're back doing things in person as far as self tapes now um but as far as coaching yeah we've been doing a lot of uh online zoom coaching for folks that's that's it's it's been a really tricky thing because like i am an actor and a coach who prefers to be up on my feet i prefer to be physical i prefer to introduce theatrical tools for folks and to align with physical impulse and getting the body into it because i feel like script analysis is just so academic most of the time script analysis is taught as like answer these 10 questions and write it in the, write the answers in the margins of your script and flip it over and write a backstory for your character. Me personally, I have such a hard time doing that and encouraging my other actors to do it because I feel it just locks us into the script even more. It just, these scripts aren't meant to be, these stories aren't meant to be on the page. They're meant to be in our bodies, right? They're meant to be up and explored and, And coming to life. And the more that we write on the script, the more that we lock ourselves into it. Um, And so that's been a tricky thing with Zoom where we are having academic, cerebral conversations about things and trying to get on our feet a little bit, but it's just not the same. Um, But I've been creating some new techniques for myself and for my actors where we've been searching to bridge that gap between having that academic understanding and that cerebral. Uh, exploration of this and to bridge it down to now being in the body so that even if you do have to just be talking about it or just be exploring it uh, in, in your mind, that when you do get up on your feet, that those impulses are there, that that expectation is there and that your body is ready to create an environment around you. So that's, that's been my main goal with zoom trying to find uh, a way to make it feel more physical, I guess, really, you know? Like get it get it up. And that's that's what we do in the in the taping room and in our classes as well is like let's just go. Let's just go. And uh and we have a lot of fun. We do. I just went on a tangent. Sorry. No,
0: no, I love (laughs) it. It's awesome. (laughs) I feel like you're like the master of self tapes a little bit. Oh, well thank (laughs) you. No, you you are though. (laughs) Like I feel like you have all the answers. It's crazy. I um I met Jordan. Well, I, I got in touch with Jordan because he was doing a Zoom with the Hollywood Winner's Circle, yeah. um, and he was talking about self-tapes, and I had a ton of questions, as usual, um, so I asked questions, and I, I basically asked, like, my biggest problem when self-taping is keeping that energy that I would have in the room in a right. self-tape. And I do it a million times, too. Like, I do it a thousand, ten thousand million times. Oh, my storage on my phone is like, please, you need help? <laughs> And your response was brilliant. So I want you to tell them what you told me.
1: Did I say limit yourself? Okay, good. So what I would, you know, in in that situation, I'll I'll use um, one of my actors. um, I'll call him John, but that's not his name. Um, So John uh, is in the same boat where he gets in front of the camera and immediately wants to work until he's gotten it perfect. He wants to, uh, he, he he would, he's a young actor and his mom contacted me because she's like, I can't do this anymore. John is making me do 30 <laughs> or 40 takes in a row. We're getting into fights. Like, I can't take this. Will you please work with him? And, and, it, and John's an incredible actor and um, we've had a great time working together. But um, he's now at the point where he's actually having fun auditioning where before like he didn't feel good about doing 30 or 40 takes either. He felt kind of gross that he had to do it that many times before he felt like he'd gotten one that he felt good about. And, um, and so by going through, by trusting his impulse, by, by going through and finding the expectations of what this character wants and by um, uh, kind of revisiting his, um idea for script analysis we found a way that now yeah when he turns on the camera he plays for like three or four times and then afterwards he goes it was take 3 wasn't it and then his mom goes yeah it was take 3 and then they send it off and they had fun and they didn't take all this time doing it and they didn't overthink it and i think that's just incredibly important so if if you are in a spot where you are doing it over and over and over again in that constant pursuit of perfection then find a way to relieve yourself of that and give yourself that freedom to only do it three or four times. That might not be enough. You might do it. I was in a, I had a really tricky, well, I'll say this. Okay. Cause I'm going to call myself out. (laughs) If you're doing more than three or four takes, you don't understand the scene. That's the bottom line. If it's taking you more than that, then you have more work to do because when you show up in front of the, when you show up in front of the camera, you should be playing. It should be free. It should be flexible. It's going to be the same thing as when you're on set. You're going to work for four hours on the same scene on set. And the director's constantly becoming going to be coming up to you with different ideas for different interpretations, different, slightly different colors in between takes. Um, your scene partner is going to give you new stuff. You're going to be in a different headspace before lunch than you are after lunch. So once you show up in front of the camera, trusting that the work is there. You did the work, you've got it. It's in your body, it's ingrained, it's living in your DNA. So that now when you show up, you should just be able to play. And yeah, I, was, I did an audition two or three days ago. Frankly, I didn't prepare for it. I didn't, it was a 12 page guest star. Um, I had no time to, to look it over. I was reading off a teleprompter, and I was flying by the seat of my pants and three of the scenes, went super solid, I did them in two takes and chose one and moved on. But then there was one scene at the end that yeah, I stuttered, I started and stopped, I had to do like five or six takes. And I knew it was because I just didn't put in the work. If I had, there's a difference between memorizing and understanding. When you understand a scene, the text is there for you, the, the impulse is there for you, the environment is there for you. When you have memorized something, you're still scrolling through that float that PDF. It's just the the script is just floating PDF in your brain where you get to a point and you're like, oh God, I'm coming up on that second part of the second page where I know I always get stuck. And now you're no longer thinking about, you're no longer focusing on your scene part. You're no longer like Truly, bring the story to life, but rather you're completely in your head, trying to think of what that word is that starts off that second paragraph that you always get stuck on. And we're just going to see deer in headlights, and then you're going to get frustrated. The bottom line is, give yourself that freedom. Give yourself like trust that you've done the work, and then allow yourself just to show up and play. And it's not going to be perfect, but perfect is boring. Quite frankly, when you are perfect, when you nail it, even this, I'll say this: when I do nail something, when I'm like, hell, that was it. That was it. Stop the presses, turn off the cameras. That was it. <laughs> I still make myself do one more and throw it away and trust that what I just found is in my body that that I have that understanding now and then I do one more and I intentionally do nothing. I don't I don't do nothing because then the impulses are gone, right? It would, then it would just be flat. But I intentionally do nothing. I allow for myself to still have the same thoughts about what i want to do and where i could go with this and then i actively do nothing on top of that because the camera then sees the thought and you're still open for having new thoughts and nine times out of ten after i do that take that felt perfect and then i do one more i'll go back and watch the two of them and i'll send off the second one where i did nothing because it's more honest it's more genuine it's more exciting And uh, I I almost always find something new in that. So
0: I want to know what the most common mistake you see in self-tapes is since Mm. you're around them so much.
1: Okay, I can can throw out a whole bunch, but I will jump on just the first one that came to mind. To preface, this is very important, not just for people in self-tapes, but it's even more important now in the days that people are setting up their own self-tape studios and sometimes are interacting with someone who is on a Zoom call or a Skype call or a FaceTime call where you're just taping yourself, your reader's not actually in the room, they're on another device that's next to the camera and you're just talking to them, there's this floating head, okay? Here is one of the most common pitfalls that I see is that people think they need to be a good scene partner. And I say, stop being a good scene partner. And what that turns into, this is, this is how I justify that. When people are being a good scene partner, they lock eyes with their partner, they're focusing on them at all times, showing that they're listening, uh, and maybe actively listening, but it is taking away all that other information of what, even right now, so I know, I know people can't see this, but while we're having this video interview over Zoom, In order for me to connect with what it is that I want to say, I'm actually walking around, I'm actually staring at the floor, I'm going over, I just adjusted a curtain, I come back, I notice other things in the room, because this is my environment. This is how the body processes things. And yet, when actors are the only people who do this, um, that when we show up in front of a camera trying to portray a character, we think it's important to be laser focused on what it is that we're saying. And we think it's important to not allow any other thought or movement or looking away or anything else into this. Whereas most scenes that we do are an argument of some kind. Most scenes that we do, you might not even want to look at the other person. And going back to the zoom is that when you are just staring at a person who's on a cell phone, and all they are is a set of eyes. We very often forget that they have a whole body to them that we can't see. They have weight that just shifted over to the one side, which lets us know that oh, they're they're losing interest in this conversation. We know when they cross their arms because they're feeling a little bit uh, insecure about the conversation that's at hand. And when people just lock into the screen, then. The actors are only telling their own story. They're not telling the story of the scene. They're not telling the story of the environment and of their scene partner. And we need to remember to do that. We need to remember to open it up to being the the whole world, not just the laser focus of what this character wants us to know. So it's, it's a bit of a, you know, and I, I could also argue myself. I could say that there are times when, and I think lots of actors have heard acting teachers and casting directors and agents say like, hey, you moved around too much, you know, don't move around so much. And I know that, you know, these two thoughts kind of contradict each other. I'm saying you need to move around and you need to create the world rather than just the audition. But then sometimes people hear that, no, don't move, like be laser focused. You don't want to drop that tension. You don't want to, you don't want to lose sight of your scene partner. You want to have consistent eyelines. All of that, it's all completely true. But what I'll say is that if a person is moving around just to move around, or if a person is shuffling their feet subconsciously, or if a person has lots of rapid eye movements that uh, that are betraying them rather than serving the story, then that is what the agents are seeing. That is what the casting directors are seeing. They're seeing that it's not telling a story. It's actually, those are those are poker tells that you haven't figured out what's happening in your world yet. Those are, that is your body saying, I know I'm supposed to be doing something. So I'm going to rock back and forth between my two feet. I know that I'm, I I forgot what my text is. So my eyes just started off to the corner until they come back to to look at you again. Um, And if those happen, then those are little clues to you as the actor that you have most of it figured out. But when, when your body betrays you, it's saying, Oh, you haven't figured out this moment yet. So I'm going to fill it in for you in the moment, but you need to go figure out that moment. I feel like I just went off on a a, 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 a sidetrack, but
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't awesome. That's
1: one of the like common pitfalls is that people are laser focused in their self tapes rather than being in that environment, being in that world, having that conversation and trusting that the camera is following them. When you show up on set, you're gonna have a professional, camera person following you every moment of your story, making sure that you're properly framed, making sure that we see every thought. And a director will be there to oversee all of that as well to make sure that and, and, and you will be you will be living in the environment, you will be moving around. And if we deny that for the audition, then we're only hurting ourselves, we need to make sure that we still allow that same freedom and flexibility, even if we're standing in front of a gray background with soft boxes all around us and a stationary camera on a tripod we are still tasked with creating that environment so that everyone else yeah that's
0: awesome thanks oh you are the king of Soul tapes get out of here with that (laughs) (laughs) so i want to know how you got where you are like what were the first steps you took all that fun stuff
1: yeah sure so i was born in tennessee um (laughs) I won't go that far back. Uh, I, I'll say that I've been an I've been an artist my whole life. I started off as a bluegrass fiddle player in Tennessee when I was four, um, and I I was a musician until I was about eighteen and working professionally around Tennessee. And then the heart grew less fond of the music, so I went to uh, New York University for theater, and studied there for four years. And within that world, that's where I got introduced to all of my theatrical training and. And, um and also found this marriage between theater and music again. Uh, and then out of college, I got Blue Man Group and Blue Man w- is just like this wonderfully exciting show that is the perfect marriage between theater and music and where you're actually communicating through music um, and very imaginative. Like they're, you know, we're allowed to have our own internal monologue the entire time because we never speak. And so you can literally justify anything, which is a great experiment to, to try to do night to night. And then it wasn't until I moved down to Florida with blue man that I started doing film and TV stuff. And I started off, um, you know, I, I had the NYU training was good enough that it got me an agent right off the bat, which is very fortunate. Um, knowing what I know now about the industry, but, uh, even then, like I had no credits. And so my agent said, go out and do some, uh, go to audition for student films and get on to Actors Access and Backstage and Casting Networks and start auditioning for indie projects and all that other stuff. Um, everything that we all know now, but I was just completely naive at the time. Um, and then from that, I, I booked a couple student films and then I booked an industrial and then I booked uh, my first on-camera TV experience, but this is, I was so naive and I was so, I don't know, I guess I was cocky about it that I didn't know what the rules were. And so I just went by my own rules because like I was new to this whole world of film and TV. And even today, like I still am, I still encourage actors to embrace their naivete because like, when you stop worrying about what is right for the audition or stop worrying about what is right for the role and when you just do what is right for you, that's when you provide an audition that is different from anything else that they've seen and when they go, oh, we're going to bring this person in because they obviously understand this role better than we do or whatever else. So, like, my agent called me um, for... Uh, my first uh, TV credit was Army Wives, and um, and I got the call from my agent, and she says, and she's so excited because it was my first TV credit. She's like, "Congrats, honey! You booked. You're gonna fly up there. It's gonna be three days on set. They're gonna fly you first class. All this other stuff." I was like, "Yeah, cool. So when do I do it?" And she's like, you sound, you don't sound excited. You sound disappointed or something. I was like, oh, well, I mean, I knew I was going to get it. So um, (laughs) where, where do I need to, what do I need to do next? You know? And and I just, I remember that conversation now about being like, oh my God, I actually said that. I actually said, oh yeah, well, I knew I was going to get it because I understood the character and because I brought it to life and because like I did things not because the script told me to, but because I did it my own way and because blah, 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 blah. And looking back on that now, like, I wish I had some of that naivete. I wish I had, I mean, I still do. I still do things. uh, I still break the rules, but now I've learned what the rules are and I break them knowing what they are. I break them strategically, right. To stick out, to, 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 to put my own stamp on things. Um, But if we can, if we can find ourselves back to a way of, just trusting what's going on. You're going to have agents and coaches and managers and casting directors and directors and designers all offering their opinion as to how something should be. And most of the time they're going to be right. They're, you know, they're not doing anything to mess you up. They're not doing anything to offer bad advice. They really are saying, "Hey, I think it needs to be this. Let's try that." But At the end of the day, it still comes down to you. You are the person who knows yourself better than anybody else. And you are the person who is tasked with bringing the story to life. And all of these thoughts are opinions. Everything from the clues on the page from the writer, all the way up through the coach working with you, all the way through um, the agent asking you to retape, all the way through the director offering you notes once you're on set. Like, don't be a jackass about it and don't be that person, but also realize that like 99% of what you're doing is you and needs to stay you and everything else is another 1%. Let those things still affect you, still listen, still be grateful, still collaborate, but don't change your entire understanding of what you're doing simply because of an opinion of somebody else. Stick to your guns and that is when you are going to stick out and that is when you are going to um, make a name for yourself and when you're going to uh, earn the respect of others because they see that you have a strong understanding of your craft and of your character and that you will consistently bring that work ethic to anything that you work on. So wrapping that all up, I I was born in Tennessee. (laughs)
0: Long (laughs) story short. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, what was your first audition like as this naive, confident young guy?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. This is going to be What 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 is your show rated? Is it is it PG? Can we curse? What can we talk Make about? We can
0: curse. Let's curse.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> this isn't really cursing, but it it, it brings up a, a a sexual nature. All right, warning. Uh, my <laughs> my very first like film audition that I booked. Like I'm talking like a feature-length film, um was a wonderful movie that uh, <laughs> it, it revolved around the idea that people would go into um like haunted houses and and walk through them and uh and always like laugh and guffaw at the really bad effects and be like, yeah, oh, this is dumb. Except in this one haunted house there's actually a killer and that killer is actually taking people out of the line and like slitting their throat in front of somebody else and then the guy behind them goes god that looks so fake right and you just keep walking right And somebody actually just died oh
0: no <laughs> um,
1: and so it, it's called scare zone and it's a one i'm very i'm still very proud of that film it's a it was filmed right here in orlando um but my story of that that i look back on now and i kind of cringe about but that booked me the role was that first of all as i was driving i was memorizing my lines right um driving to the audition and then like while i was driving i just started to find this like really creepy breathy sound and i ended up having that like i didn't do any character work i didn't go through and like analyze anything i just ended up putting this like really creepy breathy sound on all of my lines right cuz i was like yeah that feels right this <laughs> this makes sense i'm going to use this and ultimately what i ended up deciding was happening was that um, oh, I, I should tell you that I was auditioning for the killer. I was auditioning for the guy who looks like he's just a geek, but then he's the one who's actually built himself a little fortress behind the, behind the walls, and he's actually going through and killing folks. Um, but I decided that he actually enjoys this so much that he's getting off on it every step of the way. So what I did was I went into the audition room and I read through my scenes as though I was having an orgasm the entire time. And that was my character work. This really creepy little sound, whatever. Um, it was, I was a choice. First, I was, it was a choice. And, I was, and it felt right. Yeah. I didn't do it in order to like break rules. I didn't do it in order to make a choice. I did it because as I was going through it, it made sense. And so I used it. The story is I found out I booked it. And after I went into um, the audition room, I was the first person in that day. And um, apparently right after I left, the director turned to the casting director and says, well, we have our killer. And and then they kept casting the rest of the thing. And like they had just on the spot, first person in the door, they made up their mind. And looking back on that now, I'm like, I would never just like naively tell someone like, yeah, don't do any work. Just show up and pretend like you're having an orgasm. (laughs) But that is what I did because it was the right thing to do. And not because I put so much time and thought into it, not because I analyzed it and applied all these different techniques and things to it. Now, I do have years of formal training. And so then at that point, I can make a large choice like that and trust that my training will carry through the rest of the story. But it was just because I was trusting my gut. It was just because I said, this is what's right. Here we go. I'm going to do that. So. It's a uh, that that was my very first audition uh, for for a film project. That was my very first booking for a film project, and that's the story that goes along with it.
0: That's bold. Thank Props you. to you, honestly. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> so when I saw your Zoom with the Hollywood winners circle, you mentioned that you play a lot of creepy types. Um, so I want to know how you feel about that and how you even found that because you don't. You you don't seem that way at all.
1: <laughs> it's been a cool journey for me to not only realize that, yes, I book a lot of creepy roles, but also the larger umbrella that that fits into is that I play a lot of roles that are on the fringes of being accepted by society, right? That they are... Uh, either just accepted or just unaccepted by whatever group they're trying to fit into. And once I realized that, yeah, I can pretty much look at a script and be like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to book this because like, they're looking for like the guy next door and the the friendly new husband and stuff like that. I'm like, I, for whatever reason, it just doesn't fit. But the roles that I've played have been like corrupt politician and um. And like creeper, serial killer, hacker guy, and a young gay man in the apocalypse, and a uh, a Mormon who is trying to go door to door, and things like that. Like all of these people are just right on that line of fitting in, but not quite fitting in to the larger picture that they want to fit into. Um, and and so it's been it it's been a journey for me. And now I've learned that. I can, I remember going to my agent a few years back and being like, hey, I have a, I have kids now. I want to go out for more young dad roles. And she's like, honey, you're not a young dad. You're not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to book you as a young dad. No one sees young dad on you. And at the time I was offended. And now I'm like, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. No one sees young dad on me. Um, but knowing that about myself has allowed me to just take ownership of it when I'm auditioning, when I'm on set, that if people see me as that, then I have less work to do. Um, I can actually play against it and I can find other things. I've got one guy, uh, he's about six, six. He's this huge actor. Um, really just, he, he was a football player and, um, He'll come into the studio sometimes and he's always reading for thugs and, and bouncers and hitmen. He'll always come in and he will put on this voice and he's like, <laughs> get out of here, right? And and I'll say to him, I'll call him John as well. I'll say, John, you're 6'6". Six, six. Like you're, your chest is wider than like the door. You like, I have to zoom the camera out just to be able to like see you in the in the picture. Like you already intimidate us you don't have to do anything to tell that story. You could put on like a frog princess costume and dance around while you're delivering your lines and we'd be even more intimidated by you. You know, (laughs) like it's, it's, it's that world where knowing how people see you and what stories people automatically put on you and then you have the freedom to go through and to play against it or to heighten it, depending on where you want this story to live. So as far as my creeper stuff, like, it's a combination of me just letting my dark side out, which I do, I have a very dark side. And people don't know that because looking at me, you would normally assume that like, oh yeah, he's a sweet guy, he's, um, he's just a, he's a friendly, whatever, laughing all the time and pushover and all that other stuff, but, I can i you know that is me most of the time, <laughs> and then I also have that very confident like i will I grew up on an animal rescue farm. um i have I have pulled apart fighting dogs like I have no no qualms running into a battle and protecting myself or my friends or my family or, or whatever else, you know, like that's that's part of me as well. so it's um I suppose the realization of that has just been more. A larger understanding that I am fairly chameleon, and I can go into a lot of different roles as people uh, are asking for me to go into, and that I can fully commit to each of those, knowing that they will that they will see it on me as long as I, again, like have made those choices, know where I am, know why I'm here and the the chameleon type aspect will allow me to to be there and knowing that since the person being on the fringes of being accepted is my thing then even if i pick up a script where i'm like oh i don't i don't know if this is necessarily going to fit me then i can intentionally make some choices to put this person on the fringes of being accepted and knowing that it'll that will fit my archetype a little Absolutely. bit
0: better yeah speaking of being a chameleon me and my boyfriend watched some of your episodes last night oh I was nice. like on the verge of tears at the walking dead when you're Aww. dying i'm like no jordan no i'm sorry <laughs> no no it's great you're amazing but then we watched your nashville and we were like holy shit that's two different people and then we watched your homeland and we we're like oh my god he's really yeah. scary <laughs> But it's crazy with your work. You go from being someone that you're crying over to someone where you're like, oh, my God, kill him. For, for, your, for your homeland, not, not Walking with homeland, Dead. Yeah, no, not Walking Dead.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I think that that is uh, I've really enjoyed being. that. And actually, we filmed those episodes of Nashville and um, those episodes of Walking Dead were all filmed at the same time. I was actually no like, going back That's and crazy. forth at one point. So yeah, like, and that was a cool experience for me to like be, be this one person in this one spot, and then be able to be this other person in this other spot, and that's that's kind of a dream for an actor, right? To yeah, be able to have sure. multiple roles going on at the same time, be able to jump back and forth. Um, but I'm a as as far as that, I'm also a big fan of this. Is, going back to like the auditioning thing, uh, for the actors who are listening, I think we're very tactile creatures, and I think that we. By knowing what our environment is and all that, like that starts to change a person. But also, like changing your clothes, like find the clothes that feel right for you. find Find the like you know, wearing uh, wearing a suit and tie is a very different feeling from wearing a V neck for an audition. Wearing wearing flats is very different from wearing heels. Um, and I have experience with both. But the the being able to like allow yourself to believe that will not just, will not just do the, you know, then you're not just providing the work that you've already provided, but, you are living within this world where this person, yes, this person does wear um, a a neck tie and a vest. And that changes your posture and it changes your whole outlook on life. And that goes in combination with all of the work that you've already done on the script. So that when you show up on set and when the designer says, hey, yeah, we're actually going to have you wearing this, you can accept that as total truth and say, oh, I hadn't considered that. But now when I put this on, This is that extra 1% that goes with the 99% of what I've been working on. Um, And it allows me to drop into this new environment that much faster. And all of that all together, you can be working to tell that story of, you know, of finding this character, not just within the pages, but also within what this person's wearing, how how they hold themselves, uh, where is their voice slightly different?
0: How is working on The Walking Dead? Because that's such a massive show and it had seasons and seasons before your character was right. introduced. So how did you fit into that world?
1: I came in in the end of season five. And at the time I was not caught up on the show at the time I was watching season two. Uh, and so I showed up on set and like half the cast was different. Um, I walked up to Andy Lincoln and said, "Hey, Sheriff." Um, because... <laughs> you got some spoilers. Yeah, and and but I had known because in season two, Andrew Lincoln was still wearing like a, a sheriff's outfit because that's what he had. That's what he had been in season two. But now in season five, he's like, he's a he's a warrior. He's in the woods and he's wearing t-shirts and like uh, worn-out jeans and he no longer sees himself as a sheriff. And so that was a really awkward thing for me to like walk up to him and be like, hey sheriff, and then he just kind of stares at me. Um, He didn't just stare at me. Everybody on that show was wonderful. And that was the main thing I learned that you can have an incredibly successful show um, with, uh, and, and it really comes down to the people who are working on it. It starts from the writers and the producers but then the the directors and the entire crew and how everything was handled on that show was just beautiful. And all of the talent are just incredibly personal people, uh, personable, they would, um, the first person I met was Norman Reedus and he came up to me and just gave me a big hug and he said, welcome to the family. And that's what it felt like. It felt like they took care of each other because I think there's, I, I think because it's a story about the apocalypse, right? and um so it's it's just pretty they had to tell some hard stories they had to get kind of get kind of deep with some of that stuff and um and so then in between takes they're joking around they're telling stories they're they're laughing they're eating they're hanging out and just being people so that once they go back on camera they can find that separation between the two and not have to live in that state of just angst and like craziness all the time <laughs> Um, but that show is incredible and I'm so grateful to have been on it and to have gotten to, uh, be a, an on camera presence for the LGBTQ plus community. And we had so many, Ross and I had so many folks come up and talk to us at conventions where, um, they're just so proud to have representation on one of the, you know, the world's largest shows. and. Um, and how Aaron and Eric had inspired some people to be able to talk to their families and um, how it inspired some other people to make larger decisions in their life. And I think that was just, a, that was one of my favorite takeaways from the show is that it it is so inclusive in the way that it's written that you'll see all types of, You'll, it, it's a fairly decent representation of the world. And there's always, as you're watching it, there's always someone that you can relate to, I think, and fall in love with more than more than the other characters. And and then, of course, they die. And, uh, <laughs> and then you feel heartbroken, but you never know what's going to happen Aww, next. Oh,
0: that's amazing. <laughs> so this might be what you just talked about, but what was your favorite project that you've worked on? Oh. It's a hard one.
1: It is a hard one. Um, as far as career, uh, I'm definitely going to say the walking dead like that, that was just such a, um, an amazing show to be a part of. And, um, I was honored with how they chose to, um, to write my storyline and, and, and my storyline. And, uh, I felt so much warmth and that also, uh, it's still something, you know, I still, Uh, I still reach out to folks who are on the show and like, we actually still have a a bit of a community, which is great. Um, And the other thing that I've learned from that is that I expected that to be like a huge door opener, right. To have my foot in the door and be able to be like, Oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm auditioning for this and for them to say, Oh, you're Eric on the walking dead. And I have to tell you that so many projects that I booked after that, the director would come up to me and they'd say, Hey, so what else have you done? And I'd be like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I I did this and I did that. And I did The Walking Dead. And they're like, oh, cool. You're on The Walking Dead. Very nice. And it started to show me that, like, they're not always looking at our resumes. They're not always looking at our reels. And sometimes it really does come down to the self-tape. And they know right away. They're like, oh, yeah, you're our person or not. And you can have a lot of credits on your resume and they will invite you up. Or you can have no credits on your resume, but you're the perfect person that they're looking for. It's a win every time you get something. So keep keep trudging forward. Um, but then I have to say creatively, um, I know it's not film and TV, but it's blue man group is my, my favorite creative project that I've been on.
0: Oh yeah. I want to hear more about that. That That's so cool. <laughs> like what? Yeah. What was the audition like for that?
1: Yeah. So I was, I was a blue man for 13 years. Um,
0: wow. And were you in New York city?
1: I started in New York right after college. And then I went to Chicago and then Las Vegas and then Orlando. And since then I've also done the show in Boston and I did a, uh, we were on a cruise ship for several months and I did that in both the Caribbean and the Mediterranean,
0: wow,
1: which is awesome. But the show itself is so creative and you're getting to, it's so collaborative and you're working with other folks every night and there's room for interpretation every moment of the show and it's musical and it's uh, connecting with the audience and it's technical and there's so much room for play, so much room for Having the work in your body, but then letting go and finding other things to explore. Um, and my audition for that was in New York City. I was still in college, um, and I I walked into this large warehouse type space, and there were some casting directors and a and a director in there, and they asked me first to start off by telling a story, and so, and I started talking about how I grew up on an animal rescue farm and how I associated with dogs more than people. And and they said what kind of dog? And I said oh, and I picked a dog specifically Zodi, um, uh, who used to live on our farm. And and uh, and they said okay, get down to the ground and embody Zodi. So I got down and I started playing around like Zodi. And then another director got down and like we tumbled, rumbled around together as dogs. <laughs> and then they said what's your favorite weather? And I said the calm before the storm. And they said okay, embody the calm before the storm. And I did that, whatever that looked like. And then they said what's your favorite color? And I said electric green. And they said e embody electric green. And then they brought out a drum pad and they had me tell those three things with just my eyes while playing this drum pattern that they taught me. Um, And it turns out that like every person who comes into the room has a completely different auditioning experience because they just, they want to listen to you. They want you to be the person and they want to pull this character out of you, right? And that's true with a lot of film and TV stuff as well is that when you're walking into a room, when you're submitting a self tape, It's very easy to get nervous. You were talking before, Sage, about how it's hard to keep that energy up while you're doing a self-tape rather than being in the room. One of the things about being in the room is that you naturally have those nerves, right? And those those create adrenaline and that creates new choices and all that other stuff. Um, But I just wanna remind everyone that the directors and the casting directors who are watching this, they want you to be the person. They want, Their job to be done and to say, Oh, there the killer is. Good. Okay. We can mark that off the list. Okay. Let's find somebody else. They want to work with you. They want to follow your choices. They want to see your interpretation because they want you to stick out. They want their job to be done. They want to be able to turn in this self tape that they found and say, Look, this is the person. So give them that opportunity. Give them that and trust that they are rooting for you just as much as you were trying to prove yourself. So let go of the proving and get out there and and just enjoy it and embrace it and embody it because that's when you'll start to stick out
0: with the blue man group did they paint you blue every night
1: yeah absolutely
0: did they shape your we head we have bald caps oh okay
1: no yeah yeah uh, so we because we don't have ears in the show either oh, so yeah
0: you don't hair
1: some some wow. people have pretty long hair like down to the middle of their backs but they tuck it up and then put on a bald cap and then it covers your ears because we also have in-ear monitors that we use during the show, so that we're not being deafened by the drums on stage, and so that we can hear the band and all that other stuff. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot that goes into it, but yes, absolutely, it is a grease paint that we. It, it's kind of like a a Vaseline that we put everywhere, and uh, and it never dries, and it's really goopy and you feel other when you're wearing it you know it's amazing to be away from the show for several months and then go back and put on the makeup again and you're like whoa i forgot what this felt like it it definitely transforms you in a really cool way
0: yeah i think it's so funny because those posters were everywhere like i grew up in new york city so i would take the subway and stuff and they would be everywhere absolutely yeah so it's hilarious because I never knew that was you because you were covered in all that makeup. Because I, I definitely <laughs> From, wouldn't recognize you otherwise.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <they're, laughs> the show's been um, going in, in Astor Place since kind of the original theater, since it opened up. And yeah, that's where that's where they train most of their blue men, and that's where I started. Yeah, yeah. no,
0: I would walk by that so often. <laughs> it's hilarious. I love it.
1: Oh. <laughs> all
0: right, this is the last question. I always okay, ask I'm people this last so what advice would you have told yourself when you were starting out or if you've said it already what advice do you have for people who are starting
1: out i would say trust your gut and that's it um by trusting your gut if your gut says you need to get more training go get more training if your gut says you need to reach out to somebody right now because they told you to reach out then do that um if your gut says no, I don't agree with how they wrote the beginning of this, how they wrote the character description of the scene. I think this person is much more blah, blah, blah than, than you do that, than you find that for yourself. Again, not doing any of this t- in order to intentionally like go against anyone, but rather, as long as it's still honoring the story, as long as it is justified by the text. And as long as it is collaborating with folks around you, as long as you are working alongside others, then yeah, continue trusting your gut because you are doing this for a reason and only you know yourself as well as you know yourself. So do it and don't think twice about it.
0: Yay! Thank you so much, Jordan. That was incredible. My pleasure. Good.
1: Yes, I had so much (laughs) fun. So
0: glad. Thanks for listening! If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to follow us on Instagram at SageMaySpeaks and be sure to give a rate on whatever platform you're listening on. Next week, I'll be with Jessica Pimentel.